Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as you take a seat, take your Bible and go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, now, chapter 2 gets us into some interesting spots here, okay? It gets us into some interesting areas. So this morning, we're going to talk about prayer, and, and Paul brings up something that we're told today we're not supposed to talk about in church or, or in life, and that's politics, right? So uh, there, there's an old running joke that Baptist preachers should never talk about religion or politics. Um, and this morning, I'm going to do both, okay? So there, there's your, uh, if you're a millennial, there's your trigger warning, okay? For everyone else, you've, there's, there's your, uh, you, you've been warned, that's where we're going, okay? We are talking about uh, prayer and how we're to pray for people, especially our leaders, but then also what our prayers say about what we believe about who God is, okay? So um, we're not going to focus specifically or exclusively on politics, although, again, where the Bible speaks, we, we've got to speak, and, and, and so where, where the Bible touches on topics, that means I, as the, the preacher of God's Word, have to touch on them, but we're going to look really beyond that into our lives as a whole and what, uh, what the way we pray for people says to the world about what we believe about who God is, okay? So that's where we're going this morning. So if you have uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and let's stand as we read the word the Lord has given to us this morning. Paul says, first of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the great opportunity that we have to gather together as your people. And so this morning, I pray that as we look at 1 Timothy 2 and this call to be in prayer for those around us, that we would examine our hearts, we would examine our actions in prayer, we would examine our attitudes in prayer. And that where those are out of line with what your word would call us to do, we would adjust our lives through, through your grace and your mercy to what your word says to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you. You can have a seat. Um, so really quickly, we're going we're gonna to look at, at what we'll call the priority of prayer. I think that's the first thing that Paul says. In fact, this is chapter 2, and he says, first of all, right? 
So if you, this is one of the ways that Paul likes to do things. Obviously, he's not saying this is the first thing I'm going to tell you because uh, we're already into chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians, he says this in chapter 15. Right? So he goes 14 chapters, then gets to uh, um, chapter 15 and says, I delivered to you as of first importance. So this is what he's really saying here. Not, not hey, this is the first thing I'm going to tell you because I've obviously told you some stuff already, but um, this is the most important thing I'm going to say to you uh, in this letter. This is of primary importance. First of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and, and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So, so talking about the priority of prayer here, he tells us, for, uh, tells us first of all, uh, those for whom we are to pray. And that answer is simple. Everyone. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do I do that? Because I don't know everyone's name, right? And he's not just talking about the, the local church. He's talking about everybody. So the idea behind what he's, what he's saying here, and we'll get to this again. He'll, he'll kind of use a similar phrase here in a minute. Um, what he's saying is we're to pray for all kinds of people. Not to name everyone in the whole wide world by name. That would take a while. But he's simply saying we're to pray for all kinds of people. That's why when we gather um, as, as a church body, we're going to pray for those who are sick. It's one of the things we do on Wednesday night in our Bible study and, and prayer time. We're going to pray um, for needs in our church. But then also we're going to pray for, uh, for missionaries in, uh, in different parts around the world that we've never met. And for the people that they're ministering to. So everyone, all, all kinds of people, but then he specifically gives us kings and all those who are in authority. Now, now when, every time I've read this, I've always kind of wondered, why specifically those? Why, why specifically kings and all those in, in authority? If anyone that Paul could have mentioned here, why does he single out kings and, and those who are in uh, authority? Well, if we look at a couple of other places throughout the New Testament, we see the way the Bible would call us to interact with those whom God has placed in authority over us. Um, and so, for instance, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 13 through 17, says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Then in Romans 13, 1, so that was Peter, right? And this is Paul again. Let everyone submit to the governing authority, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. All right, so this is Paul himself telling us elsewhere to submit to earthly rulers. And now the, the question might immediately come to your mind, but what if our earthly leaders are, in some cases, evil? What if they're simply wrong? What if those that, whom God has placed in authority over myself, uh, over us as in, in this nation are not following God's plans. 
I would remind you that as Paul's writing this, particularly in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, when he tells us to pray for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, the emperor at this time in the Roman government is a guy by the name of Nero. Um, now what we know about Nero is he was a brutal ruler. In fact, the first documented case of government-sanctioned persecution of Christians began under Nero's kingdom. Okay, so we know there were some Christians who were being persecuted before. That was mostly by, uh, by, by people in the culture around them, maybe even by uh, Jewish believers who, who didn't like this new sect called Christianity. But the first government-sanctioned persecution of Christians happens under Nero. And it happens with a vengeance. Um, Nero set out to squash this thing called Christianity. And there are stories of, of Christians being brutally um, beaten and tortured and executed under his reign. So now think about that. With, with this guy ruling, who's persecuting Christians and putting them to death, and Paul says, we're to pray for our leaders, for kings and all those who are in authority. So, so listen, let me, let me bring this home for just a second. And it's not my, my intention to step on any toes, but there's, there's something I think that we need to understand. As believers, whether your preferred parties in the White House or not, we don't get to go around saying, well, that's not my president. You might disagree with some, some things that our president does, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat. That's fine. We, we are given, we're given the opportunity here. One of the glorious things about the United States is that every four years we have an opportunity to voice our opinion about the president. But we don't get to say, well, because I disagree with him, he's not my president. Because I disagree with him, I'm not going to honor the, the place that he has. Because the Bible will say that no one holds those positions of authority apart from God allowing them to be there. Um, so, when we have a leader that we like and that we respect, and when we have a leader that we don't like, and who we don't think is making godly decisions, our call and our charge is the same. We're to spend time praying for them, not bashing them on Facebook. We're to spend time praying for them. And I haven't always gotten this right. I've, I've, made, I've made mistakes in this area as well. And so I see this as a call on my own life to spend far more time praying for our leaders than, than I do criticizing them. So then how are we to pray? Well, Paul tells us here. He says, uh, first of all, with petitions. That's making requests of God. And then the next thing he says is prayers, just kind of general, general praying. Um, then he says intercessions. Intercession is a word that means praying on behalf of someone else. And then finally, thanksgivings. If you examine the, your prayer life and the way that you approach God, are your prayers marked more by thanksgiving or by asking? Are they marked more by um, praising and thanking God for the blessings that he's given to you? Or is it 
more like your Christian Christmas list. God, these are are my needs, and I'm laying them before you, and uh, be with the children in Africa, amen. There's an acrostic that, that I really like, and um, I didn't come up with it by any means, but it simply spell, spells the word pray. And the P stands for praise. We open, open our time praising God, thanking Him for the blessings He's given us. The R stands for repent. As we praise God for the blessings He's given us and praise God for who He is, it might bring some stuff up in our lives that don't need to be there, so we repent. Then we ask. Then we bring our requests to him. And then the Y stands for yield. Not my will, but yours be done. Praise, repent, ask, yield. That's been a great uh, help to me in, in my own prayer life. And as I said, I, I didn't come up with that. I read it somewhere, but it made good sense, so I stole it. Um, so, so he talks about the priority of prayer. This is something that, that is to be, just to mark the lives of believers, is praying. Essentially, praying is, on one hand, it's conversation with God, right? If we, if, if, if we have a relationship with God, we're going to want to spend time talking to him. But secondly, prayer shows our dependence on God. Prayer, prayer is the ultimate um, act of weakness for the believer, I, I don't have the strength to do this. There are a lot of things in my life that I am powerless to control. But I know the one who's in control of all things. So I'm not going to go to him trying to manipulate him to, to make an exception for my situation. But instead, I'm going to go to him trusting that, that as almighty, infinitely wise God, he knows what he's doing. And I can trust him with my life. That's the priority of prayer. Then we get to the purpose of prayer. He says this in verses 3 and 4. He says, This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So so these verses here make clear that the purpose of our prayer, particularly our intercessions, our, our prayer on behalf of others, our prayers on behalf of kings, and all those in authority, the ultimate purpose of that is their salvation, that they might come to know Christ Jesus as Lord. Why? Because God wants people to be saved. Now, whom does this verse tell us he wants to be saved? It says, uh, because God wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, now, hold on, I don't mean to mess with anybody's soteriology here, okay? But, but if we believe what the Bible says, and the Bible says God wants everyone to be saved, we have to do something with that. Now, there is a tension here, so let me address that for a second. God wants everyone to be saved, and yet we know not everyone will be saved. We, we see those two things at work, I believe, in, in, our, in our world, in our theology. God wants everyone to be saved, not everyone will be be saved. Okay, so, so then if, if this is true, that God wants everyone to be saved, whether, whether this means literally every person, or again, it could mean all kinds of people, every, every kind of person God wants to be saved. So if, God, if that's God's desire, why doesn't it happen? 
I could go into a long theological argument about why I think that's the case. Uh, the simple answer, though, is sin. Right? That, that's the most simple answer I have, sin. Because sin separates us from God and does not allow us to see God's goodness in our lives. And, and so, listen, let me... Um, let me just say, if, if this verse, the, the fact that, that God wants, every, wants everyone to be saved, if that messes with your theology or your, your view of salvation, uh, let me simply say this. Don't simply explain it away and say, well, it can't mean that because of X, Y, and Z. Wrestle with this. Listen to the words of Spurgeon, who, by the way, was a five-point Calvinist. Calvinists believe that God has appointed those whom he will save, and there are some whom he will not save. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, was a, was a Calvinist. And he came to this verse. And this is what he said about it. He said, I was reading just now the exposition of a very able doctor who explains the text so as to explain it away. He applies grammatical gunpowder to it and explodes it by way of expounding it. What he said there is this guy looked at this verse and it didn't fit in with his theological framework. And so he said, that can't possibly be what it means. So listen, if this messes with your understanding of salvation, don't, don't just explode it. We'll just, don't, don't pull a Thomas Jefferson and say, well, I don't understand that, so I'm just going to cut that part out of my Bible and set it aside. You can't do that with the Word of God. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with this tension that exists. And, and we'll, we'll talk more about that here in just a second. So, so whom does God want to be saved? If, again, this could mean that you can translate this all kinds of people, right? So if we're talking about pray for kings and all those in authority, it means God wants Republicans to be saved, but he also wants Democrats to be saved, and even Libertarians, okay? Folks in America, but also folks in Iran and North Korea. Because the Bible tells us that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, not to die for the United States of America, but to die for the world. The gospel is good news for the whole world. It's good news, I believe, it's good news for everyone who will take it and repent by faith. So even back in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 33, this is what we see. This is God speaking to Ezekiel, and he says, Tell them, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? See, we see here, that God, God's desire is that people would turn from their sins and repent. This is why he went to great lengths to prove his love for us by sending Christ Jesus to die on the cross while we were still sinners, as Romans 5.8 says. You know, in our uh, purpose statement, which is simply love, serve, and give, the first part of love is, is really twofold, and that is that we want to love God, we want to love others. So if that's part of our mission, part of who we, who we want to be here at First Baptist Church, then we have to ask the question, do we value 
seeing the lost come to faith in Christ. Do we, as the people of First Baptist Church, value seeing lost people come to faith in Christ Jesus? Because in in Scripture, we clearly see that God values seeing the lost saved. In fact, he values it so much that he sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for their sin. So last week, we passed out tracts in in our bulletins, and we had a time of prayer. In fact, I've I've placed the basket back up here on the steps this morning with all the index cards and the names that you wrote down. And so that was step one. Now this morning, let me simply ask, do you value... Seeing that person come to faith in Christ. Let me ask a follow-up question. If you value that, what are you going to do to make it happen? Now again, we we have no power to save anybody, right? I mean, you you can't do it. I've I've learned through my experience as a youth minister and then as uh, serving as pastor that I have zero control over the behavior of other people. Parents, maybe you have experienced that frustration as well, right? Like, like I, I can teach my kids, I can teach uh, folks in, in churches and, and when I was in youth ministry, I can teach teenagers what God's word says, I can teach the right way, but I have zero control over how they respond to that information. Same with the gospel. You have zero control over how someone responds to the gospel. And yet, God's promised us that when his word goes out, it won't return void. And we see through our lives, through scripture, that when the gospel is shared or when the gospel is proclaimed, people turn from their sin and turn to Christ in faith. So if we believe that that we're to love God completely and we're to love others compassionately. And part of that loving them compassionately is pointing them to our God who loves us completely. How far am I willing to go to show that that's a value? Because you can, you can say something's a value, but until it affects your behavior, it's not really a value that you hold to. purpose of the prayers here is that people would come to faith in Christ. And finally, we're going to look at the proclamation of prayer. See, here's the thing. As we pray, we are preaching. The way you pray for others will preach to them. It it preaches to them what we believe about God. It preaches to them what we believe about the power of prayer. Here's the thing. We can pray with confidence because there's one God and one mediator, Christ Jesus. Look at me at verses 5 through 8. He says this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. So we can pray with confidence, particularly for the salvation of others, 
because of the reality that God sent Christ Jesus to pay the ransom for your sin and for my sin. And for your neighbor's sin, for your co-worker's sin, and your classmate's sin. If we believe that God's that God sending Christ Jesus to be the sacrifice on our behalf, if we believe that act was sufficient for salvation, why on earth would we not share that with someone else? Well, they might be offended. You're right. But are we willing to not share the best news that we know for fear that we're going to be rejected or that someone's going to be offended. See, we can confidently proclaim the gospel to the, round, to the world around us because our God is sovereign and because he's given us his spirit to guide us. Acts 1.8, this is, this is Jesus' last words recorded by Luke. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and, to the end, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice he, he didn't tell them, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going up to heaven. Um, good luck. You guys are going to do a great job. Uh, and I'll see you, see you when I come back. No, he says, you're going to receive power because the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And the Spirit, my Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses. Then Romans 10, 13 through 15. Paul writing again and he says, uh, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they hear without, or how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, Paul puts to death an argument right here that I've heard so often. Well, I'm, I'm going to preach through my life. The way I live will preach to people. And so I don't really have to, have to use words. And Paul would say here, no. How can they call on him they ha- whom they have not believed? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent? I would remind you that in Matthew 28, we've been sent. And there comes a time, listen, I hope you live a consistent Christian life, but, but, but let me just, can I, can I give you a loving dose of reality? Your life is not good enough to make someone come to faith in Christ because of the way you live alone. They might look at you and say, man, they're weird. Like, like when we're at parties, they're not at parties, and I don't understand why. Like they just must not like to have fun. But your life alone, I hope it preaches, but you've got to use words. Just like um, if, you've, if you ever raised a kid, there comes a point where they just want to kind of grunt and point. <laughs> what do you say to them there, remember? <laughs> use your words. Okay. Believers in Christ Jesus hear the same thing. Use your words. Don't, 
Don't separate that from your life. Don't say, well, I'll just tell this person about Jesus. But then, so then I don't really have to live a, a godly life. No, that's not the way it works either. Th- those things have to go hand in hand. But you got to use your words. That's why I want to provide tools like we did last week through simple tracks. As I said, we're going to do that first Sunday of every month. Just a new tool. You can stick, if, if you notice that the size of that one that we gave you last week is really handy. It'll fit right in your back pocket. Here's the last thing that, that Paul points out. Um, it says, therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Couldn't the culture around us use a little bit less anger and argument? Do, do you know what I think the key is to that? It's praying for somebody else. It's difficult. I think you'll find it much harder to be mad at someone whom you are consistently praying for. And you know what? You'll find it even harder to be mad at someone that you're consistently praying with. So as we close this morning, I simply want to ask, who are you praying for? Who are you on your knees for, constantly pleading with God to save them? Are you obeying the command to pray for everyone, especially for those in places of authority, whether you agree with their stance or not? So here's what the Bible says. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 it says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, as the CSB says. You don't have to approach God timidly, because if you're in Christ, your sins have been forgiven. Christ is already serving as your mediator. You've been made right with Christ and free to walk in grace and mercy and truth. And he says, therefore, because of that, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Then finally, Paul's exhortation in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. And I pray today's the day that you would know, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God sent Christ Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. You don't have to live life separated from him anymore. He wants to, as we saw this morning, he wants you to be saved. He wants you to come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you, as we stand to sing in just a few moments, I'd love to visit with you about that. For the rest of us, who's God placing on your heart? And he's saying, you've not been in prayer for this person like you should be. You've not been consistent in sharing the truths that you know and sharing good news for a lost and hurting world. This week... Let's be obedient to the, to the call that God's placed on our lives. 
The, the when, when you have the opportunity and that little bit of fear starts to creep up, that you would trust that God is bigger than your fear. Or it's what VeggieTales told us, right? God's bigger than the boogeyman. You don't have to be scared. Because we serve a God who is far more powerful than anything we could face in this life. It's a God who used the full force of His sovereign majesty to show His love for us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for the opportunity to gather and to worship. I pray this morning You would lay one name on each of our hearts. Someone whom we are praying for. Someone whom we have the opportunity to share the gospel with week in and week out. And that this week we would not shrink back in fear, but we would boldly, with love and gentleness, proclaim the good news of the gospel. God, we don't have the strength on our own. We need your power. We need your spirit. Will you show us how to do it? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.